0: Yeah, today, in honor of all of our moms, we want to think through the meaning and some of the most important implications of this very unique passage as we celebrate Mother's Day 2015. And we're going to see that when Solomon gets to the end of this book all about wisdom, and wisdom is really skill in living from a divine viewpoint perspective. Wisdom is skill in living based on the fear of the Lord. As Psalm gets the end of this book, he has to hold up something as a target, something as an ideal, something as the prime example of what wisdom looks like. And he doesn't, picture, he doesn't talk about a Hollywood movie actor, he doesn't talk about a politician, um, he doesn't talk about an athlete, he talks about a godly woman who's a a wonderful, devout believer, who's a great wife, who's a great mother, and who's the heart of everything she's a part of. So don't miss that as we look at the details of this passage. God's concept of the ideal person is the wise, righteous woman. But uh, let's pray together, and we'll uh, ask God to teach us from His Word this morning. Uh, Father, we uh, open Your Word And realize that uh, you have inspired this text in Hebrew. You preserved it through the centuries. Validated the accuracy of the copying. through artifacts like the Dead Sea Scrolls. And now we have English translations on our laps or on our phones or our tablets. And we're about to think some of your thoughts after you. This is a spiritual pursuit. It's not just a quest for information and Bible trivia. It's a desire to glean your truth that you might uh, change us by the transforming of our minds. And so we pray your Holy Spirit who inspired this text, who's preserved it, will now uh, illuminate to believing hearts. And so we want to prepare our hearts and ask you to make them teachable, that we would... Uh, better understand your priorities and your character and the kind of person you honor and so the kind of person we ought to honor in our lives uh, we want to honor all of our mothers in attendance and all of those that we know and love uh, we pray also father i'm thinking for the mothers of sons and daughters in the military or the mothers of sons and daughters on police forces or the mothers of sons and daughters who are firefighters and I know they uh, uh, make a lot of sacrifices and deal with a lot of stress as they think about their sons and daughters protecting the rest of us including protecting our right to gather in the name of Jesus Christ on this corner I thank you for each one who's here and I pray you'd be glorified to the process and the product of us reading, understanding, believing, and applying your precious word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, to honor our mothers, we need to understand our mothers. And, Corey, a big part of that is understanding the way moms use certain terms. And so I'd like to just kind kind of catalyze our capacity for abstract thinking and to kind of give you some intuition in some of this. Here's the mom meaning of three key terms first term is bottle feeding, and this is what mom means by bottle feeding. An excellent reason for daddy and not mommy to get up at 2 a.m. That's that's bottle feeding. Full name. Full name is, this is mom's meaning, what you call your child only when you are extremely mad at him or her. James Cooper McCoy. Show off. This is the last one. Hold your applause. Um. Show-off is any child who in any area from sports to school is even slightly more talented than your kid. (laughs) That is a show-off. All right. Uh, Notice that as you look at the last chapter of Proverbs, beginning in verse 10 through the rest of the book, you are seeing like an epilogue where Solomon is holding up a target, an ideal Uh, What is all this stuff the book says about living a skillful life and godly wisdom? What does that look like? And he doesn't hold up anybody but somebody that uh, is the heart of everything she's a part of, meaning her family and her community and her church and even her country. And he starts with uh, verse 10 as a rhetorical question, kind of as an umbrella a title for all the rest of it. So Phyllis, a rhetorical question is when you make a statement, but you put it in interrogative form. You make a statement, but you put it in the form of a question. You might call it a jeopardy statement. You know, In and, and jeopardy you've got to answer in the form of a question. So the example I like to use is uh, I'm the oldest of four kids, and uh, I've got three sisters, and when I was a little kid, uh, my older, the oldest of the three sisters, but two years younger than than me, would quite often ask this rhetorical question. Scooter, which was my nickname, Scooter, why are you so stupid? Now, she wasn't asking the question for me to give her an answer, Jack. She was making a statement. She was just saying, in effect, I can't believe how dumb you are. That's a rhetorical question. Here, he asked the question to make a statement. An excellent wife. Uh, this word means noble, able, virtuous, strong, consistent. A noble, able, virtuous, strong, consistent wife. That word can be generic, and here it ought to be translated generic. Woman, not wife. Let me say before I forget, he's going to say that this kind of person is a delightful wife if she's married. Not everybody, as Jesus says, is called to be married. Most of us are called to be married. The vast majority are called to be married. But some people are called not to be married at all. Sometimes we women lose their husbands. And sometimes it's through divorce. And you know what? There's no such thing as a perfect wife or a perfect husband. But it only really takes one person to total a car. And it only takes one person to total a marriage. Not every time you have a marriage total. Is it essentially all somebody else's fault? But it can be. So he's describing in ideal terms what the wise, righteous person looks like, and he just assumes this person will probably be married. And most of you probably ladies are, are married today, so uh apply that to yourself. But this applies to Ashley just as much as her mother or to Debbie or somebody else. Uh just she's the kind of person who if she gets married will be this kind of companion. But this question isn't a question, it's a statement. It's saying uh, the virtuous, noble, able, strong, consistent woman is rare. It's even rarer to find noble, able, virtuous, strong, consistent men. But I mean, right? Because you don't find a lot of us. But it's a rare thing. But her worth is greater than anything you can touch with your hands. Money, or in this case, precious stones. Now, that's the title for this final part of the book. And under that title, stating her unique greatness, he talks about two things. He talks about who this kind of person is and how she should be seen by others, her family and other people. Now, Corey, I know you're not a woman and you're not a wife, so you can't be a delightful wife or a devoted mother. But a lot of the character traits he's extolling should apply to you as you're growing in grace and walking with the Lord but you have, you know, wisely, you know, decide which ones, the ones that are feminine-specific or mother-specific won't apply to fathers, but there's an analogy there, okay? So that's what we're looking at. We're going to just look at who she is and how she should be seen. So we're really celebrating her first, and then we're challenging her family, and all, I put DVD, should be DVP, Divine Viewpoint. DVD is something else. You have a movie on a DVD, um, how all divine viewpoint believers should affirm this kind of person, okay? Who she is, how she should be seen. Now let's think about who she is in her character. She, according to this passage, is a delightful wife if she's married. She's dependable, she's a devoted mother, and she's at her core a devoted believer in in God through Jesus Christ. Let's think of that first one. She's a delightful wife. Look at verse 11. And 12 and by the way you know Carolyn you got this umbrella it's it's hard to find this kind of person but man she's incredible if you do and God can get you there ladies if you want to be right that's the umbrella and then he talks about these two uh, different things who she is how we should react and in general as you go through verses 11 through 27 in general these categories I'm giving you are kind of the way that thought is developed wife um, dependable. Uh, devoted, etc. But there is a little bit of overlap, so we're not going to go quite consecutively through the verses. We'll jump around a little bit, so just so you'll know. But look at verses 11 and 12. Uh, the ideal person is a godly woman, and if she's married, she's a delightful wife. I mean, she's devoted to her husband in her marriage. Uh, the heart of her husband trusts in her with good reason, And he'll have no lack of gain. She has no secrets, no secret agendas, doesn't hold grudges, uh, is transparent and is for the best of the marriage and the best for her husband. And he'll have no lack of gain as he trusts her. And I found out a long time ago, uh, my best counselor is my wife, and she's like almost always right about everything. And it's really, it's getting a little bit tiresome after 42 years. But I mean, she just has this uh, 99.9 track record. So I kiddingly, I kiddingly say, Corey, I can't do everything my wife tells me to do because she's wrong like 0.1 percent of the time. So I'm not going to take that risk, you know. But I found out a long time ago, typically what she says to do is the right thing. Right? She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. So she is trustworthy, consistent. She never stops working to build up her husband and her marriage. dropped down to verse 23. Her husband is known, respected in the gates. What does that mean? The gates where you did business in the ancient world. And so as he interacts with his community as a community leader uh, her support and uh, uh, the input she has in his decision making as well helps to make him successful and helps him to be an effective individual. So we're starting with her marital status, and again, you don't have to be married to be spiritual. God doesn't call all women to get married, but if you are, you need to build the thing up, not tear it down. Right? She's a delightful wife. Um, her husband has full confidence in her. She brings him good. Uh, I think one of the, uh, I think communication and compromise is kind of what marriage is about, some level. Um, Debbie, you know, the, the, I've done a lot of weddings over. Whatever many years I've been a pastor now I can't remember but it's been a, a long time but uh, typically opposites attract and they get married and then they realize they're married and then opposites attack see but for me and Debbie we broke that paradigm we're we're, we're very we we're very, very very much have the same personality which is kind of good because we're real compatible. But the kind of stuff she doesn't want to do is the kind of stuff I don't want to do. So a lot of stuff doesn't get done, like our garage, <laughs> stuff like that. So just to let you know. So, so she's a delightful wife if married, right? Now she's also a dependable individual. Uh, look at verses 13 through 19, which actually does kind of flow along that theme. Uh, she rises also while it's still night. She gets up early because she really wants to get ahead of the curve in making sure her kids and her husband's good to go. And uh, I realize that, can you imagine Jonathan and Candace now have four babies under three, two sets of twins. And so, I mean, it's going to be a while before they all go to church together. But, I mean, whenever they decide to, it's going to be a trick, right? And, you know, at TBF we talk about Tanglewood time, and I always feel like, hey, try to be on time if you can. But I'd much, personally, I'd much rather you be late than not at all, right? And I, I never looked down anybody's nose for being late, because I don't know what happened. You might have got a phone call or whatever. But especially when I'm looking at the Skinners, whenever you roll in, sometimes it's early, sometimes it's on time, most of the time it's a little bit late. But you know what? You've got a lot of stuff to do. And mom's got a whole lot of stuff to do, don't you? you got to wake them up you got to clean them up. you got to get them dressed. you got to cook breakfast. you got to feed them breakfast. you got to clean up after breakfast. you got to clean them up after they ate breakfast. you got to make sure they go to the bathroom. you got to get them in the car. It's not easy. Yeah, it's not easy. So I, I get that. I get that. But uh, this kind of person is proactive, not lazy. Uh, she wants to get ahead of the curve. So, you know, I guess I jumped ahead of verses, didn't I? Look at verse um, 13 is where I wanted to start. She looks for wool and flax. And works with her hands in delight. We're gonna see that this gal is an entrepreneur, which kind of reminds me of Candace with Lovewell, uh, with her little, not little business, it's a growing business. But she looks for raw materials to do stuff with for her family and others. Uh, now some women don't like verse 14. It's just a figure of speech, okay? Uh, and I didn't write this, but I am gonna tell you what it means, okay? She's like a merch, she's like merchant ships. And people don't like that because, you know, merchant ships are kind of big and wide, and yeah. women think, you're saying I'm big and wide, you know. But now merchant ships would go beyond the easy places to get local food, to get delicacies, to get the best of everything. This is just a figure of speech. She goes out of her way. Uh, you know, I mean, my wife will not buy um, Scotch tape at Walmart before she checks the price at Dollar General and the Dollar Tree to make sure. And it's always a dollar at the Dollar Tree. But, and you've got to compare quality, too, and stuff like that, because some of that Scott's tape at the Dollar Tree is not that good, but that's just me. Uh, so, but don't think this is saying you got to be, you know, 500 pounds to be a good mother or something. Uh, she, but she goes all over the place to get the best stuff for her kids. She rises also while it's still night, so she's ahead of the curve and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. So she's got, this is a lady who's pretty well off. She's got some servants to help her. Uh, now look at this. Uh, what you're going to hear in the media is that the Bible generally is kind of anti-woman, and it's full of a bunch of Jewish mythology, right, James? That's the current label they're using. They come up with different labels, you know. So it's all, all Jewish mythology, and it's really, a, it's very anti-woman, never holds up women at all. And of course the culture in which the Bible sat was pretty anti-woman, but the Bible's not. And this is a woman who's just tremendously capable and tremendously successful uh, and she does all kinds of things. Verse 16, talking about countercultural in in the 10th century B.C. uh, in the ancient Near East. She considers a field and buys it. This this lady has got a small business going that includes uh, uh, real estate. Uh, she considers the field and buys it from her earnings, she plants a vineyard. I mean, this, this gal's an entrepreneur. Today, she would be on Shark Tank. And that day she had to do it herself. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. That's another thing. You ladies were thinking, I want to work out, but I don't want to have big, fat you know, biceps. But to have strong arms just means to be a capable person just across the board. Now, what's this? Verse 18, she senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. Now, uh, the word gain there is really a metonymy effect for cause. Long story short, it just means uh, she realizes that her efforts in every area produce good things, and she has a contentment in that. Uh, This idea that we can give little kids self-esteem, self-esteem, by telling them instead of doing the soccer drill, they're standing in the corner cooking, kicking dirt well. I mean, I, the last year I, I coached soccer. We watched a video that said you can never criticize a player and you got to compliment them on everything. And I always thought, you know, if everybody else is hustling, if i got all these guys, and Tabor, you would never go half-speed on a drill. But if I have all these guys in a soccer drill or a baseball drill or a basketball drill and they're all going full speed, especially Jack, who just made his basketball team in Arkansas yeah. and played football last year. Uh, all these guys are going full speed in the drill, and you're going half speed. I'm going to kind of kindly get your attention and tell you I want you to wrap it up a little bit. But yeah, we we saw a video, the new, uh, we got to give the kids self-esteem. And little kids understand, if you give them a, a trophy, and everybody gets the same trophy, and they didn't extra, they didn't try, and they didn't do the drills, and they didn't know what they were doing, that that trophy means exactly that. You know, you can't give anybody self-esteem. You've got to be able to look in the mirror and kind of respect yourself, and this is a lady who respects herself because she has standards. She lives up to the standards. And whether everybody likes her or not, which ain't going to happen, she actually can like herself. And uh, you can really kind of lower your, how much Xanax you need to take if you kind of get with that kind of a program. That's where she is. Now, I will not shock you with some of the bizarro, ultra-leftist Hebrew scholars' interpretation of 19. James has probably trickled into some of that stuff. But let's just say when you're having romance with your spouse, there are some of these exotic kind of deconstructionist exegetes that want to see all kinds of bizarre stuff here. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. And they fail to notice we're talking about a spinning wheel and flax and wool and the rod, or I should say the distaff was the rod that held the raw wool and connected it to part of the spinning wheel. And the spindle was the stick that that took up the thread that kind of came out the end product of the spinning wheel process. So that's what that means. It just means she's not afraid to get her hands dirty. She doesn't just uh, order her servants around. She gets down and contributes. In ministry, we call that being a player coach, right? So she's buying the raw materials. She's making investments. She's actively involved. And it's hard not to think of my daughter-in-law Candace, because you know they started this um, business called LoveWell, and um, I've got to tell you, Rachel, if you're ever looking for some baby clothes for Leah, got look at Google LoveWell. This is based in uh, Edmond, Oklahoma, and a certain chunk of everything you buy goes to Christian a Christian ministry that builds water wells for third world third world countries. You might want to buy something for Sawyer from. from well, if I thought I was going to do a commercial, I would have got their logo here and put it on this PowerPoint <laughs> slot. But uh, she's kind of formed a lot of this out now because she's a little busy taking care of four little kids. But uh, for a long time, they had kind of turned their uh, extra bedroom. They don't have an extra bedroom anymore. <laughs> a kind of a sewing room where she's sewing stuff you know, in the wee hours of the night. So I can kind of relate to that. I, I literally saw her do stuff like that. Uh, not with a spinning wheel, but kind of electric. Uh, you know, they've kind of upped up the technology, and that's that's good. So she's a dependable individual. She's a willing worker. She's actively involved in her her world and making business deals and uh contributing and and feeling good about it. And she deserves that. She senses that her gain, the effort she's making, are honest, and everything that comes out of that is a good thing. That word for good in verse 18 is the one. Tov is it's used in the Genesis creation account. Everything's good. Everything's good. And her lamp doesn't go out at night, which means she doesn't punch out at 4.59 and stop working, I'm done. She goes even into, after the sun goes down, she's doing all the things she needs to do. Look at verse 20. She's concerned about others. You might think this kind of person who's an achiever and helping her family and contributing to the community just because she's employing people and helping the economy, might think that's all, all I've got to do. But she actively is aware of and helps people who are less well off than she is. She extends her hand to the poor and she stretches out her hands to the needy. So she's very much aware she is in a blessed situation. She's got some abilities and opportunities the average person maybe doesn't have. And she doesn't look down her nose at others, but she's willing to help those who are less well off than she is. Look at verse 22. We'll come back to verse 21. She doesn't forget that her first obligation to her kids, if she's making clothing for sale, she makes coverings for herself, and her clothing uh, is fine linen and purple. She makes the best kind of thing, so she's kind of attractive and appropriately dressed. Now, we're going to be warned later in this passage that we shouldn't get hung up on physical beauty. And I I know our culture kind of holds up the Barbie doll or whoever the latest supermodel is, and that's kind of the example of what femininity is supposed to look like. And not everybody, uh, I mean, look, I really wanted to be a male model, and it didn't work out. And not all of us have uh, the looks needed to do that kind of thing. And even if you have it, if you live long enough, it's going to tend to fade away. That's why the warning of verse 30 says, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain. But those with character go on. And yet, uh, if you look at verse 22 again, she not only provides for her family in this way, but she also makes sure she's stylish and uh, she's attractive without over-obsessing over that. Uh, You know, the Puritans had the reputation of being people obsessed with the fear that somewhere someone was having a good time, and that's a horrible misrepresentation of really where they were coming from in most cases. But you tend to think of the Puritans with the bonnets on, like, and the ladies looked like they just got off a stagecoach. And as the Puritan preacher once said, ladies talking about your appearance, if the barn needs painting, you better paint it. So if he thought you could do that, Solomon apparently does too, but you don't obsess over your physical beauty, but I think it's nice to do the best you can with what you got, right? And I think that's what he's saying here. Uh, She's dressing attractively, appropriately. Um, 1 Peter 3 says, Don't get totally hung up on the outward appearance. Focus on the quiet spirit of a heart, but do the best you can. You you want to look stylish. I've, I've bragged about Candace, I've always thought Kristen has a myriad of character traits, and I'll say more about her in a minute. Don't leave. <laughs> but I think, man, she is a happening lady. She's very stylish, and she does a lot of this stuff for her family that we just read about. But I tell you what, uh, she's not here. Amanda Birch, to me, is really very stylish. You know, just... Hey, Debbie Corbin, I've always was just very stylish, you know? And I'm, I, my my opinion doesn't count. I don't know what even stylish she is. I'm colorblind, you know, so... But uh, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. All things in moderation, including moderation, however, right? So you know that. Uh, Look at verse 24. We already talked about her husband being uh, helped in his pursuits because of her support and input. Uh, She makes linen garments and sells them like Candace does and supplies belts to the trade men. So she's got a skill there, a knack. This doesn't mean you've got to learn how to use a sewing machine to be a godly woman. This was kind of her thing, and she followed it. It's something she wanted to do, she was good at, and uh, it, it made, you know, it was an expression of who she was. Um, yeah, so she's a dependable individual. Uh, she makes linen garments and sells them. So I don't know if, uh, if Candace has done this, but she might want to put that kind of over the sewing machine or over the work room. That might be a good thing. So what are we seeing? We're looking at who this person is. And again, Blaine is not probably going to be a mother or a wife, right? But a lot of her character traits are things you ought to embrace too as an ideal. And we've seen that the ideal person, the ideal woman, is a delightful wife of marriage. She's a dependable, I would say hardworking individual, willing worker, actively involved in her world in a wide variety of areas and yet concerned about others who are less fortunate than she is, uh, attractive and appropriate in her styling, and she even runs her own business and manages money. It's pretty nice. Now, the third one, and this is especially appropriate today, isn't it, Betty? Because we're talking about Mother's Day. And this passage on the ideal person, the godly woman, emphasizes this lady is a world-class mother. She's a devoted mother who disciples her children in the faith. All right, look at verse uh, 15. Yeah, isn't that a nice picture? Actually, I I found kind of a stock picture. uh, Earlier in the week, I was playing around with this, and I just went to Google Images, and I got this really beautiful mother and two little kids, and I thought, I know even a more beautiful mother and two more beautiful kids. I saw that picture on my phone, so through the magic of... Email we got it on there, and so that's that's Peter in the foreground, and that's Cooper, in the the background, and there's Mom right in the middle, and boy, the old saying is uh, a boy's best friend is his mom, and I can tell you that's for sure for Cooper and uh, and Peter, and boy, they love their daddy, and when he comes home from work, that's a big event every day. But man, Mom, is uh, just a little boy's best friend, and. uh, yeah, it's, you, you, I, I look at Jamie, and you know, I've known you guys, many of you guys for 27 years, but I've known him from day one, man. And you, you see that, you realize that, you know, as you think about Jeff. I mean, you've known him forever in the sense, right? You've known Ashley from day one, girl. I mean, you cared cared her for nine months. <laughs> Hope she appreciates that, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's a nice picture. Now, for equal time, now we left Lincoln out. Nobody... Sharon, don't tell Lincoln we left him out on Mother's Day, but those are the two little twins. That's Eloise and Violet, and then of course that's Vivian right next to Mom. And, and look at that, Rachel. We got it's got the two arrows. Brave Lovewell, Oklahoma, land of the red man, is kind of a big theme in Lovewell. And so, so you know, Candace made that shirt, almost literally probably, designed it. And uh, you know uh, Vivian, and Vivian is, just like a lot of girls, you know, uh, love babies and, and love uh, little kids, and so now she's got two babies to take care of, and she's less than three years old herself. She's going to turn three uh, in a couple of months. Boom. Let's go back there. Yeah, let's talk about the uh, devoted mother who disciples her kids. Look at verse fifteen, uh, and we talked about this in a slightly different context, but she's really all about her. Her, her the center of her heart is the Lord and her family. And, you know, when Paul says that in the New Testament that wives ought to be workers in the home, I know some people have traditionally said that means they can only work in the home and they can't have an outside job. And I don't think that's what he means. Lydia, seller of purple, pretty prominent person in the church in Philippi. Uh, I'm pretty sure that Paul had probably stumbled onto Proverbs 31 somewhere in his rabbinical training. Do you think so, James? Is that possible? I think he probably knew about that. I don't think he's contradicting that. He's just saying if you do work outside of the home, you're, uh, you you're still, the, your kids, your family, your husband have to be at the, at the heart of who you are inside you know the even deeper commitment to the Lord. But uh, those are not necessarily exclusive categories or uh, contradictory categories. She rises, and typically mom's the first one to wake up. I mean, not always. It kind of depends on the schedule and stuff. I mean, I think uh, sometimes dad's waking up at 5 and getting out the door and trying to be quiet, so mom can wake up at 5.15 and start cranking, whatever she does. But she makes sure that her household is well fed and manages the household well. That's what verse 15 saying. Look at verse 21. If you get too obsessed on uh, uh, kind of being a control freak, you're going to tr- have trouble living in Oklahoma, aren't you, Dale? You can't be a total control freak and live in Oklahoma because we have too many weird, bizarre weather events here. I mean, we have everything but hurricanes. We never have to worry about hurricanes. Everything else is a possibility, including earthquakes, wildfires, droughts, flooding. This week, uh, tornadoes, torrential thunderstorms, that kind of stuff. But she says, talking about her as a mother. Who's over the household? Uh, she's not afraid of the snow for her household, uh, for she's prepared for anything. For her household is clothed with scarlet. She's got all kinds of stuff. She's got a fire alarm there, so if the house the kids are on fire at night, everybody knows. Uh, uh, we were kidding because you know the Duncan uh, school district was trying to decide what are we going to do about potential tornadoes. It'd be nice if all the schools had. You know, storm sh- uh, shelters, but now all the schools are 50 years old. It'd be hard to dig them under the buildings and too expensive and they can't pass the bond. They should do that. So they decided to have the elementary schools, maybe all the schools, buy raise money and get helmets and blankets. So, kids, put on your helmet, wrap yourself up in your blanket, and lots of luck, you know. But uh, horsemen have their helmets now. So uh, you, maybe uh, this mom would have a set of helmets for them to wear as they got huddled in the bathroom and hope nothing bad happened. But, uh, yeah, she's got everything controlled as to the extent she can control it. And she puts her trust ultimately in God. Look at verse 27. Uh, she has her home, her household at the very core of her identity. She looks well, uh, consistently, uh, competently to the ways and the means and the dynamics of her household. And she doesn't eat the bread of idleness. She's not sitting around eating bonbons all day watching soap operas. She actually knows and it, mom typically does that. You know, uh, mom knows when the soccer practices are and when uh, the rehearsal for the uh, getting ready for the super summer is or when the Christmas musical practice is going to be and all this other stuff. All dad does is go to work, uh, bring a check home, hopefully, that helps. And, uh, you know, she for some of the stuff and goes where the wife points him when he gets home, that kind of thing. But typically the wife gets all that together and she's the glue that holds most families together. And we need to appreciate that. And not just on Mother's Day. And my mother, one reason I've got a weird sense of humor, you always blame it on your mom. My mom has a very weird sense of humor, and Kristen will tell you that. And she used to try to be funny uh, when we were little enough. It probably was not appropriate, but it didn't totally crush us. But, you know, you go, to, you go to Sunday school, and they have you do something for Mother's Day, so you got something to bring home to your mother. And I'd give it to her, and she'd go, with a smile on her face, if you need a national holiday to give me a card, something's wrong. And then she'd go, oh, give me a hug. So, you know, this is why I can interpret people really well, because they they don't mean what they say most of the time, and you've got (laughs) to overlook it. Okay, who's this person? She's a delightful wife, married. She's dependable, solid, hard worker, actively involved in all kinds of areas, and just sit around and feel sorry for herself. She's a devoted mother if she has children. And here's the core of everything. Ultimately, she's a devout believer who lives a life of divine viewpoint, wisdom. Look back at verse 18. Uh, She senses that her gain is good. We talked about that in a different context, but she's got a spiritual motivation. I mean, you know, she's trying to glorify her God in all things, not just at synagogue for her or church for us, but in the business world, at Walmart. At the uh, community activities she's involved with. And I'll try not to do that again. Uh, Look at verse 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing. That's not literal. I mean, we already know she dresses attractively. We're told that with with clothing. But she uh, has these character traits that make her who she really is, regardless of what color her dress is or what she's wearing that day. And she smiles at the future. you know, one thing about getting older, and I have this tendency, I mean, just look at just the way the culture is kind of in a free fall, and you kind of get kind of cynical and real negative. And I remember Dale told me once years ago, um, I don't know if you've fallen off the wagon or not, but I remember you telling me once that uh, as you were working all day, and you'd get in the truck, and you'd have the radio on, and you listened to, to Rush Limbaugh. Now, I, I Personally, I, I like most of what Rush Limbaugh tells you. I, just to let you know, I am very conservative, but I remember Dale said, you know, he's kind of negative, and he's kind of cynical, and I li- if I listen to it all day, I just get so, in such a crummy mood, you know, and it, just a little bit of that is is fine, and he just felt like it was just bringing him down, and uh, Ron and I were big Rush Limbaugh fans for a while, and I still like what he says, but I just, I don't listen to it all day long. I listen to it a little bit sometimes, but you got to kind of watch what you take in, garbage in, garbage out, so uh, she looks uh, with optimism to the future. Now, how in the world, Katie, can a Christian look with optimism to the future? That's the only reason we could have any optimism. We're looking at everything against the resurrection of Christ. And we, what does the Bible say about the future? It's going to get worse. It's going to get real bad. It's going to get horrible. And then it's going to get a whole lot better. And then it's going to get to be perfect, okay? That's end of the church age, tribulation, second advent, millennium, eternal state. That's basically what it's telling us. So, you know, it's kind of short-term, cheer up, Nancy, it's going to get worse. But then it's going to get a whole lot better. And, And she's got that sense that God's in control and ultimately everything that's broken, and we live in a very broken world right now, he's going to fix it and it's going to be okay. And if he's happy with the plan, we can rest in that, and we can be happy too. Now, people say, well, they didn't really understand there was heaven in the Old Testament. Uh, okay, uh, Psalm 73, which isn't a Dead Sea Scroll, so we know nobody wrote it after, you know, Jesus came. This is Old Testament stuff. Uh, among other things, the psalmist Asaph says, Who have I in heaven but, but you, God? And besides thee, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart will fail. We've all got an expiration date physically on earth but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is an Old Testament believer who at the heart of her being is a devout uh, uh, believer in Yahweh and his promised Messiah, and ultimately she's saved by the cross of Christ. They might say, well, if the pulpit is that represents the cross, here Jamie McCoy's out here in 2015, he's living 2,000 years after the cross, he's looking back at a provided Savior. That's where his faith is residing but how about the, this lady living that Psalm is describing in 1000 BC? I mean, hey, Rachel, the cross hasn't happened yet. So how can people look forward to the future? They don't know about heaven. Well, Psalm 73 makes it clear they knew about heaven. But what happened is, in the Old Testament, you've got the Old Testament prophets describing a promised Savior who's going to be the Passover lamb the uh, fulfillment of the Day of Atonement, who's going to take care of the sin issue. Isaiah 53, 700 B.C. goes into great detail about the substitutionary atoning death of Christ. And so they believed in the promised Savior. They, their faith was directed forward. Now, Colin, the payment for your sins isn't made till Jesus dies. Old Testament people were saved on credit. How do I know that? Genesis 15:6. Abraham believed God's promises by the Savior and he was reckoned as righteousness. And guess what? Romans and Galatians quote that passage in the New Testament saying that's how Old Testament folks got saved. Jack, people in the Old Testament this is Old Testament. This is the Christ event. This is the cross. This is New Testament. Okay, People in the Old Testament got saved just like people in the Old, uh, Old Testament got saved just like people in the New Testament. By grace through faith, but the object of faith was slightly different. Their faith was in the promised Savior. And those promises get more and more specific until they, boom, zero in on one person and only one person. And it's not the Buddha or anybody like that. On this side of the cross, we're saved by grace through faith in the provided. They were saved in the promised Savior. We're saved by faith in the provided Savior. So she's an Old Testament believer who understands her faith is relevant to her attitude toward life now, even though she has no idea how and why certain things happen, and certainly I don't either. Now notice verse 26. As a devout believer, she's very careful about griping, complaining, whining, third parties, why did they do that, why did they do this, why can't they do something else? Sit down and talk to the person you're mad at. You want to fix that that way. It's kind of biblical. But look what happens Here. She opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. My mom used to say, don't say, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Now watch this. One of my things I say a lot in uh, our studies is for every negative in the Bible, there's almost, there's almost always a corresponding positive and usually in the same context. Have you ever heard me say that? Some of you not, but I'll say it many, many times in the future. Okay? For every negative in the Bible, There's almost always a corresponding positive, and usually in the same context, right? So when you think about women and the tongue in Proverbs, people tend to key on statements that are negative. And there are a couple of really kind of over-the-top statements like that. 2119, it's better to live alone in the desert than with a crabby, complaining wife. Brad, I don't like you saying that. I'm just telling you what it means. I mean, I just read it. Uh, This is my personal favorite one in this category. Proverbs 27, 15, 16. A continual dripping on a very rainy day. And I know Dale can relate to that because the last four days he's been soaking wet trying to deal with 64 oil wells in the rain. Uh, A continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Whoever tries to restrain her. It's not going to work. It's got to be the grace of God, and you're not going to fix her. Uh, restrains the wind. So he can do that. And grasps oil with his right hand. So those are the kind of things you tend to think about, and you know what? M- women can do that. And men can do that too. And I'm going to sound like a chauvinist pig, but I think maybe women are noted more when they do it, or they maybe have slightly more potential to do that kind of stuff, but they don't have to. I mean, what does it say? The ideal is the wise woman doesn't do stuff like that. She opens her tongue in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. You know, uh, sins of the tongue are serious sins. And I think a lot of times, well, I never commit adultery, I never rob a bank, I don't take cocaine, but a lot of times slander and flattery are very common amongst Christians, and they can be kind of really spiritual deadening factors in our lives, and we want to avoid that. Slander and flattery. Slander is when you say negative things about someone behind their back. Let me tell you what Shelby really meant. Because I can read her brain, you know. I, I say that to, to Steve. But I would never say that to Shelby's face, right? That's slander. When I'm talking about you to somebody else and telling him stuff I would never tell you about you it's not good. It's not very helpful. Uh, the flip side is just as bad. And one of the uh, occupational hazards of being a pastor is some people try to, and it's even worse if you're a speech teacher. I'm a speech teacher at a college level. I grade four speeches a semester, which is 60% of the grade, and I'm like the the um, home plate umpire. I mean, I I, I, can find, I could find something wrong with every speech ever given by a college student, a freshman college student. I could find a lot of stuff wrong with any speech. Or I could emphasize the positive. But I mean, you know, if I had an agenda, I could give you a 25 on all four of your speeches this semester, like right now, and 25 is an F at Cameron. Is that an F at OU too, 25 out of 100? Yeah, that's not a good grade. Uh, so I have a certain amount of people who flatter me from day one because they want to be on my good side because I'm great in the speeches, but flattery is also sinful because it's lying. That's why you're saying positive things to Dr. McCoy to his face. You'd never say uh, behind his back because you don't believe him. You're the greatest teacher ever. I mean, ever. I mean, since Socrates, man, that's how good you are. And then they walk down the halls, man, I can't stand that guy, but he's great in my speeches. That happens, okay? This is a paraphrase of the verse, uh, of verse 26. When she speaks, she's, she has something worthwhile to say, and always says it kindly. Uh, Jamie, that's your, that's your mother, many years ago in high school. Can you see why I fell in love? I sat next to her in an English class, and uh, as a junior, she kind of ignored me, and then as a senior, she needed my help on a book report, oral report, and I got her through that, and the rest is history. Okay. That's who she is. Right? Delightful wife, dependable person, devoted mother, devout believer. Now, how should she be seen? How should, uh, we respond to her? Well, let's see. Let's see how her family should respond to her. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also praises her, saying, many daughters, that's a, an idiom for women in that culture. Many women do a lot of cool things. But this person is the greatest. Uh, you excel them all. Um, I can tell you one thing for sure, Uh, our two boys love their mama. They love their mama, and uh, they should. She's done a lot for them. Uh, If you don't appreciate uh, your mom, you should, and if you're not trying to find something to like, uh, you can. Not all of us have mothers as good as Debbie or Pam or or, uh, Maxine, Hey Brad, thanks for being here on Mother's Day. It means a lot, to me personally. So just so you know, but uh, she should be appreciated and affirmed by all. That should be divine viewpoint, not DVD believers. All of us should respect and affirm mothers, and not just on Mother's Day, Betty. Okay, this is something we should uh, uh, respect greatly all the time. Uh, charm is deceitful, beauty's vain. So if you focus on that, you're going to lose it. It's a moving target. But a woman who fears the Lord, the fear of the Lord isn't an abject fear, it's reverential awe of the greatness and holiness of God that motivates you to do the right thing and think the right things. Even when nobody's looking, or you don't think anybody's looking, or you're out of town, or you're on a business trip. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her. It's encouraging us to celebrate her. So that's a biblical justification, I think, for Mother's Day right there. I found this graphic... Uh, where a Christian woman says, I'd rather be a Proverbs 31 woman than a Victoria's secret model. Now, really, your husband would like you to be both, but that's just, you know. <laughs> uh, fear of the Lord is not a negative thing. It's a positive thing that motivates and drives us. Uh, Christianity is not about uh, rote, uh obedience to rules, it's a relationship, and fear of the Lord, abiding in Christ, walking in the Spirit, are all being motivated by the person and work of God. Mother's Day. God's concept of the ideal person is a woman. Not just any woman. A wise, righteous woman. So the uh, ideal person is a godly woman. Uh, two things as we close. All Christian women should embrace the ideals of this passage. And really, there's a, as I've emphasized for the guys here, a lot of these character traits relate directly to us, too. Some of them are specific. Many of them are not. Now, I know some women read this passage and say, man, it's discouraging because I'm so far away from this. I'll, I'll never get there. grace of God can move you in a direction. But here's what I say to you, Stephanie. I think you're, you're, you're making some good progress. But don't be discouraged by the fact that the bar is set quite highly here. He's not talking about living a perfect life, but living a life focused on the one who is. That's how you make progress in this. So we're not talking about sinless perfection, but a righteous direction based on godly priorities. And what are her priorities? She's a delightful wife, and she's married, devoted to her marriage and her husband. She's dependable. She's a hard worker. She's involved in a lot of different areas. She's happy to contribute in a lot of different areas. Something like Carla Buchanan is just all over the place. I mean, she's doing all kinds of things for people. She doesn't just do one thing and let everybody else just assume everybody else is going to take care of all the rest of the stuff. A devoted mother, devout believer. A uh, little bit of fuzzy graphic there, but... I'd say her foundation is found in the Lord, and then it works out from there in concentric circles. But she's involved in a lot of different things. She doesn't limit the good she can do in her community just because she does so much for her family. So, bottom line, all of us should respect and actually appreciate such women. And so, we salute you moms today. And if your mom's from out of town, lives out of town, lives out of town like mine does, 500 miles away, call her today. Debbie, remind me to call mom, okay? (laughs) Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we've uh, had some fun with our moms today, but we thank you that your word extols godly womanhood in an ideal sense here. And let us not forget that or take that for granted or take for granted the fact that uh, great women like uh, Janice Skinner and Stephanie Skinner or Pam Cox, or Kay Massey, or Janet Deeg are the very heart of just about everything they're involved in. They're the heart of their family, they're the heart of the church, uh, they're the heart of a stable community and of a great country. And uh, we know that not all women care about this uh, ideal or would even see it as legitimate. But as believers, we realize this is the target And by your grace, every believing woman can move in this direction as they walk and depend on you. And I pray that uh, they would be encouraged to do that, and more importantly, all of us would be encouraged to more actively affirm them. And if we've got nice things to say, let us be quicker to say them. And if we've got constructive, critical things that need to be said, help us to go directly to the source so we can actually help the person, as opposed to spreading other stuff to other people that they don't really need to hear. Uh, Father, we pray for anyone here this morning who's not, from the depth of their heart, looked at Jesus Christ with the eyes of faith and trusted Him alone for their salvation. I pray You would convict them of their sin. They've broken not just their standards, but certainly your standards. Uh, they can't save themselves, but because Christ died for our sins, we don't have to die in our sins. And through faith in Him, active, receptive trust. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I cannot fix it. It's my fault, but I believe you died for me as my substitute, as my Savior. You rose again, and I rest in you. I trust in you alone as my Savior. Open hearts to believe and respond to Christ in that way. And for the rest of us, help us to affirm our moms in a special way today, but to really extol and admire and respect uh, all godly moms around us and in us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.